right now, we're in a series called God Why. We're in a series called God Why because many times you and I and the people around us lie in bed, look at the ceiling fan and say, God, how long is this going to go on? When will this end? When are these things going to change? When is this relationship going to be restored? When am I going to stop feeling this way? I, uh, when I was a kid, I almost drowned in swimming lessons because they, uh, the instructor, and I'm not sure what he was thinking, gave us free time during swim lessons to do whatever you want to do. And one of the kids said, okay, I, uh, uh, I have a game, Joseph. And so he said, you tread water and try and swim to the side of the pool. And I'll try and keep you from the side of the pool. And I was, this was the year I failed swimming lessons, so this was the worst idea of during swimming lessons ever. So like, it's just bad idea on top of bad idea in swim lessons. And so he pushes me out kind of before I can even think, and then I'm trying to get to the wall, and eventually I get tired, and I can't get to the wall, and I start to sink because I can't, I can't tread water any longer. I can't get to the wall because he's keeping me from the wall. And obviously, I didn't drown. He reached his hand out when he realized, hey, uh, Joseph's going under here. And he, so he reached out and saved my life in that moment. But that, in that moment, I was in the pool, and I was worn out, and I was tired, and I couldn't go on, and I didn't know how to go back to the wall, and I didn't think this kid understood. And so in that moment, I just remember this, just this emotional like fear gripping me because I don't know how how to, how to get out. I don't know how to stop this. I can't swim to the other end of the pool. I can't touch the bottom here. And so all I had was fear. And I wonder if there's some people here like that today. That the pain has been going on for so long that you just kind of fear, am I going under here? Is this depression and despair ever going to let up? Is this, is this depression and despair ever going to go away? Is my life ever going to get better? Or maybe you're here and you say, is my marriage ever going to get fixed? Is my spouse ever going to, to change? Are my parents ever going to stop hurting me? Maybe you're here today and there's, some, there's something that you just go, God, why? God, have you forgotten me? God, I can't go on. God, I can't finish this. And so we get here to Romans 8. And we're going to be walking through verses 31 to 34, where God is speaking to people like you and me that go, God, have you forgotten me? God, I fear I'm going under. I fear my strength is failing. God, I fear I can't go on. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 34, is for people like you and me that feel worn out, not sure we can go on, and not sure that our strength is ever going to hold out. So go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. If you're a guest, there are... Bible's in the row in front of you, in the seat in front of you. We'll also have it on the screen. But in this series, as we slowly go through Romans 8, to hear what God has to say to people like you and I, who hurt and who fear, who fear that we will not make it, this is what God has to say to us. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. 
Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are not silent in the middle of our suffering. Lord, help us to hear clearly your voice here in Romans 8. Help us hear from you to be strengthened for the things that we're facing and so that we can minister to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 34. Building on the verses that have come before us that say that our present sufferings are not worth comparing the, the glory that's going to be revealed, not to us, but in us. Verses that tell us that it is the Spirit who comes alongside us to help us in our weakness gets to this point when we are only filled with fear, verses 31 to 34, that says, okay, if this stuff is true, but I feel like I'm sinking, if I feel that I'm forgotten, if I feel that my foes are so strong, and so relentless. God tells us here in verses 31 to 34, do not fear because I am for you and I will not turn away from you. Verses 31 to 34 says, do not fear because I am for you and I will not turn away from you. There's three statements here that for us to begin to tell ourselves when fear creeps in that God is turning on us. When, when we lie in the hospital bed and say, God, have you forgotten me? When we work in a job that we hate and that is so demoralizing, three statements to tell ourselves in that place, working third shift in the middle of the night, needing a break. God, why can't you give me a break? These are three statements to tell ourselves. These are three statements to tell ourselves when we're lonely when we're just in despair, when we're in depression, and when fear begins to creep in. These are the three statements. Verse 31 to 32 says, I will not fear because God gives me his best. Verses 31 to 32, they, they call us to, this, to begin to talk to ourselves, not to just listen to ourselves and begin to say things like, I will not fear because God gives me his best. Verse 31 says, what then shall we say in response to these things? What shall we say in response to these verses that tell us that God is working good for those who love him? He works all things together for good for those who love him. If this is true, if the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, if all of these things are true, what do we do? What do we say in response to these things? Verse 31. If God is for us. If God is for us. Who can be against us? If God is for us, then nobody that is against me can compare with him. And then he begins to walk, walk us through. What does that look like? What does that mean? If God is for me, who can be against me? Because it says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God is calling to us in the middle of this to say, do you want to know the measure of how much I am for you? That I, that I will not spare my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I am not going to spare him when it comes to doing good for you. When it comes to the things that you are facing, then we have to begin to measure the love of God by the fact that he doesn't spare his son when he's working for us. He will give his very best for us. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not with him also Graciously give us all things. This is an argument from the greatest to the lesser. From the greater to the lesser. If God is going to give us his very best, then why would he also not give us the smaller, lesser things that we need? 
If God is going to give us his own son, if he is going to come and live the life that we should live and die the death that we should die, even though he didn't deserve it, how will he not also pay our bills for us? If he is going to leave heaven and leave the glory, not grasping at the things that he has owed, but instead comes and lives the life of a servant, washing the feet of his disciples, welcoming prostitutes and sinners and drunkards, welcoming back traitors like his disciples, disciples how will he not also how will he not also work all things together for our good this is that argument from the greatest to the the least of things and so when we face a fear that that god has forgotten us that we're going to be overwhelmed we must begin to call to ourselves no i will not fear because god gives me his best and if he's going to give me his best then that means he's also going to give me everything else that i need it's a package deal if he gives us jesus then he gives us everything god's attitude towards me is settled and he's not going to hold out and say oh well you disobeyed in this way so i'm not going to take care of your job i'm not going to take care of your kids i'm not going to take care of your heart i'm going to leave you i'm going to abandon you Paul calls us to begin to talk to ourselves and say I will not fear because God gives me his very best this is the same kind of our, the uh, call that God makes throughout the Bible when Moses leads the people of God and they're they're wandering in the wilderness and they say we're going to starve to death we are going to we are going to we've got no water we're going to thirst we're going to die. God has forgotten us. Moses calls to the people and says, the God that delivered you from slavery in Egypt is not going to let you die in the wilderness. God is not going to forget you along the way. If he saved you out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, then he's definitely going to make sure that you have the food that you need and lead you into the promised land for his name's sake. This is the fear that you and I deal with. God, you must forget me because you've withheld this relationship, this restoration. God, you've withheld your promises from me. God, I'm sinking and suffering in despair. God calls to us and says, no, if I give you my best, that means I'm also going to give you everything else that you need. I'm not going to lose you along the way. So we must begin to look at our lives and say that God gives me his best. He's done it before and he's going to do it again. Some of you right now are sitting there going, I feel like I'm sinking so deeply. Some of you are right there sitting there going, am I letting my family down again? Because I can't make it. I can't keep the family business going. I can't do the things that everybody else before me has done. I'm going to, this passage says, do not fear because God gives you his very best. Some of you are stuck in a marriage or in a relationship with an adult child. You're like... God, God, have you forgotten me? God, have you left me? God, have you... This passage says, no, God has given me his best before and he's going to give me his best in this time too. We must begin to talk to ourselves about this. We must begin to tell ourselves, don't fear, don't fear. God's attitude towards me is settled and he's not going to change his mind. The second statement, this passage teaches us to talk to ourselves to tell to ourselves is I will not fear accusation because God has justified me. Verse 33 tells us we must begin to talk to ourselves and say I will not fear accusation because God has justified me. Verse 33, 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. This passage is laid out around this statement. If God is for us, and then it says who. So there's this implied throughout the passage. If God is for us, who is going to bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If God is for me, who is going to bring a charge? Who is going to accuse God's elect? Who's going to accuse me? God is the one who justifies. This passage calls us to begin to look at the world where we can get many accusations of things that we've done wrong, accusations of guilt and shame, accusations that come in from Satan that we don't deserve God's love, that God is going to turn his back on us because look at what you've done again. Look at where we find God's finding you. Look at you again. This passage says that when we begin to fear that we are sinking deeply and that God is going to drop us, no, if God is for me, then nobody can accuse me before God. Because God is the one that justifies. I'm not the one that lives above reproach. I'm not the one that's free from accusation because I've behaved correctly. I'm the one that's free from accusation because God is the one who justifies. So the the issue here is that God's attitude towards me and my sin is settled. God's attitude towards me and my sin is settled. No charge is ever going to come up that is going to surprise God. And no charge is ever going to come up that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection does not cover. No accusation against you is going to change God's mind. No accusation against you is going to change God's mind about you. Maybe you're sitting there and going, how can I know for sure that's true for me? You say, Joe, how can I know for sure that no accusation is going to change God's mind about me? You see, we can come to God and we can say, God, look at all these things I've done for you. I've prayed this many prayers. I've been baptized. I've gone through these steps. I've done these works in the church. I've cared for these people. But that's not good enough. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. The issue in the Bible is that God made the world and then God made it good. And then he made Adam and Eve and then he, and he said, you will be my little kings on this earth under me. But Adam and Eve and you and I and everybody after them has said, no God, we, will tur- we do not want your way. So the real answer to the question, who will accuse God's elect, all of us can accuse God's elect if that's the place that we stay. But God, we're going to live our own lives, live our own way, do our own things. But the good news of the Bible is that in, contained in this verse, 33. It is God who justifies. Adam and Eve and everybody after them has been guilty of, of all of the accusations before God except that Jesus came and lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and was raised to life as God saying, yes, for all who will repent of sin and trust in Christ. Repent is that word, a change of mind. I am not going to live as my own king, living my own way and justifying myself before God. I will instead take Jesus. So this verse 33 is an invitation to each one of us today to look at our lives and say, am I free from accusation because I've behaved? 
Or am I free from accusation because God has justified me in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? And if that is true, then we can begin to walk and we can live and tell ourselves, I will not fear any accusation because God has justified me. I'm not going to fear that God's going to change his mind because somebody has told him something about me. Because God is the one that has justified me. And so, if you're here today, and if you're like me, then the words of people can hurt deeply. I was at a conference in Florida this week, and I, I overheard two people walk past me in one moment. And I heard uh, one of the women tell the other one, my mom always said I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. And that's all I heard. They just kept going. And I just went, that mom's words have, have stuck with that woman her whole life. She didn't say, I can't sing. She said, my mom said. And I, and I was like, That's, that is the way that Satan chases us around with words from our past, from things that may be true or that we're afraid are true. And this passage says, no, we're not going to fear any accusation, not because, it, oh, well, we've outrun it, not because we've done something different, but no, God is the one who justifies me and declares over me a better story and a better, a better declaration. So we don't have to fear any accusation because God stamps yes on us and you are pleasing in my sight because of Jesus and so that second statement to tell ourselves when fear creeps in that God's going to turn on us is I will not fear accusation because God has justified me and the third statement to tell ourselves when fear creeps in in verse 34 that third statement is I will not fear condemnation because Jesus is interceding for me. I will not fear condemnation because Jesus intercedes for me. Verse 34 says, Who then is the one who condemns? Remember, that this, if God is for us, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. passage says, if God is for us, who's going to condemn? If God is for me, who is going to condemn me? And here's where he points. Here's where Paul points us. Nobody is. Because Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life. Then he describes Jesus in two ways. He is at the right hand of God, and he's interceding before the Father. If God is for us, who's going to condemn? Jesus Christ has died in my place and was raised to life. And so I can know for a fact that God is pleased with me. And that I am not going to be condemned and God's not going to change his mind. And he's not abandoning me. And I don't have to fear. Because Jesus died in my place and was raised to life. My condemnation has already been given to Jesus. Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, who was raised to life. But he describes him then in two ways. Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Giving us this picture that God is on his throne. The closest place and position of power is the place that Jesus occupies. 
God is, God is calling to us to begin to picture that Jesus is closer to the Father than anybody or anything in all of creation. And what is he doing right there? Listening? Listening to accusations and wondering, hey, should I change my mind? No, he's actually interceding, asking for God's very, very best for you in God's ear giving us this picture that nobody is ever going to come into the presence of God, begin accusing and condemning and saying, God, can you believe what's happened without Jesus sitting even closer, pleading to God for you? Kids, interceding is a fancy word for pleading and asking. It's that kind of thing that happens when you're at the store and you're like, Dad, I would really like this. Dad, you know, these are my favorite chips. Dad, this, this candy, you know, is my favorite. It's our treat day. Can we have this for our treat? This passage says that Jesus is interceding and pleading for you in the, in the very ear of the Father. Nobody's ever going to get closer than Jesus and turn the Father against you. And so if you're sitting here today fearing that you won't make it, fearing that God might not be for you anymore because it certainly doesn't feel like it when the despair and depression creep in, when the loneliness and the abandonment, and abandonment creeps in, know that Jesus is interceding for you. One of Satan's names in the Bible is accuser. Like that's what he specializes in. Is to, is to just accuse, and to just accuse, and to just condemn, and say, can you believe, can you believe, can you believe? And I know that some of you sitting here today know that really well. You know that voice of the accuser whispering in your ear saying, look at him, look at him, he did it again. Look at her, can you believe what kind of mom she is? Can you believe what kind of guy he is? Can you believe that she's feeling this way? Can you believe that he's done that? That's Satan's very name. This fall, I actually shared, I shared a story with our Gospel Revolution group that I literally never shared with anybody before. As we began to look at that idea that God in the Gospel frees us from shame, and I began to just kind of say, this happened when I was 15, and it's stupid, and it's nothing to be ashamed of, but Satan my whole life is like, can you believe this guy did that? And what, I, what I, we find in this passage is that Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father pleading and asking for good things for you. And so we come into this and we say, God, have you forgotten me? God, have you turned away? God, in the middle of the night when I'm caring for little babies or older children. God, when I lie in my bed and I wonder why this is happening to me again. This passage says that Jesus is in that moment at the right hand of the Father asking for God's very best for you. So why can we not fear? Because God is for you and he will not turn away. God is for you and he will not turn away. Then we can begin to imagine what, what changes in this. Uncomfortably, this passage doesn't say, if you just believe everything is going to be okay, it's all going to be fixed, you're not going to be dealing with illnesses, you're not going to be dealing with loneliness, you're not going to be dealing with estrangement, you're not going to be dealing with accusations or condemnation. This passage says that you can know for certain and that you don't have to fear that God has left you behind and that he's forgotten you. So what changes? That changes us. That changes us. Maybe it doesn't change the circumstances around me, 
But it means that I can lie in bed and say, right now, Jesus is bleeding for me. I can't fix it. I can't change it. The situation. But I can know for certain that Jesus is asking for God's very best for me. And that God is going to do everything for my very best. So then that begins to change us. And that can then begin to change a family. When a a mom or a dad, when a husband or a wife begins to say, I don't have to live in fear that God is holding out or changing his mind. That begins to change a church when people begin to go, we actually aren't loving and serving our community out of fear or out of desperation, but out of the settled attitude of God towards us. Because what we really want is for our friends and our neighbors to get that. Like that, in large part, that's, that's, that's the call of the gospel is for people in our blocks, for people in our families, for people in our schools, for people in our workplaces to get this idea that God in Christ is for us and will not turn away from us. And so God is calling us in the middle of the suffering, in the middle of the silence, in the middle of the despair to begin to change us from the inside out so that we can begin to embody this good news for our community. Let's pray. God, we, God we, we thank you. Father, we thank you that the voice you listen to every day is pleading for good things for us. We thank you that there will be no condemnation, there will be no accusation that will stand against us because Jesus has justified his people. And God, we thank you that you are always working for our very best and we can measure that in the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand with us.